This is a podcast by One Life Christian Church in Baldwin, New York. We pray that the following podcast would encourage you, build you up in the gospel, and lead you closer to Jesus. We remind you that these are simply tools to help you in your walk and ask that you still look for a local church to attend and serve in. Welcome to the living room. I am uh, I'm honored to be with you today. I'm the lead pastor here at One Life. My name is Isaac Badaraco. I think for the most part you all know me already. I just, uh, I practice for the day that we continue being overflowed and we don't always know who's in the room. So it's an honor to be with you. Yes, I'm here. Yes, I'm here. I'm here with you in person. I'm honored to be with you in person. And um, I have a word of God for you today. Um, there's no need for reintroductions here. I just want to go into God's word. Is that all right? Praise God. If you'll open up to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. I'm asking the Lord, while you look that up, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's a Bible right under the seat in front of you. Uh, You're welcome to grab that if you want to join us. These Bibles are also, I don't know, one second, I'm sorry. This is part of being a pastor. There's things that annoy you. I don't know why the wall, the, the TV is facing the wall. Praise the Lord. Now we can see better. Okay. I'm sitting there, and I already preached the 9 o'clock service, and we had an amazing group for the 9 a.m. Amazing group for the 9 a.m. Hearts of worship, just like we have them at the 11 o'clock. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, Lord, can you please just change my sermon a little bit? I want just uh, some new seasoning for the 11 o'clock. And uh, thank you, Akil, because he was here at 9 a.m. He doesn't want to hear the same sermon again. And um, I don't know how to preach the same sermon twice, although the, the body of it, the, the skeleton of it might be the same. I know that the, the spirit of God can shift based on also what is happening in the room and who is in the house. So my, my request from the Lord as I'm sitting there worshiping is, Father, just change something in this for us, please. And so I want to start first by bringing us into the word of God. Um, if you haven't yet been used to what's happening or the, what the culture is at One Life, I hope that what you've gathered from our other pastors is that we trust heavily in the Word of God here. Like, we have zero doubts about God's Word. Somebody asked me this week, why is it that when I read the Bible, there's so many things that I disagree with? Like, Pastor, what can you tell me about my disagreement? And all I could respond was, oh my God, sometimes when I read the Bible, I disagree with some stuff too. Is that, is that weird for you? But the truth is that I still trust in the sovereignty of the word. And though it says things that I personally and my flesh don't agree with, it is still the word of God. And our response is to what he has said, that we are to trust God. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 1 says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Have you noticed humanity's tremendous need, desire certainly, for affirmation? No, is that just me? 
and even for people who are too proud to admit it, everybody likes a little applause. You know, and it gets to the point where it's a little uncomfortable, but like, oh, I would love for somebody to affirm me. So you will find, verse 4, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God. God first and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, verse 5 says, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. I may forget to come to to verse 6 at the end of my sermon, so I'm going to start with verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Some of us sit week after week in the house of God when we know that there are things inside of us that we struggle with. Even if it might be your disbelief. Have you ever gone to God and said, God, I struggle to believe the things that you ask me to believe, but have you ever considered going to him and saying, Lord, help me with my unbelief? But a lot of us find shame in that, right? Lord, when I read your word, I feel like I don't know. Like, I don't really want to honor my mother and my father. I struggle. My relationship with them is troubled. But that's what your word says, so that my days are made longer. But I struggle with that in my heart. But of course, our response is to acknowledge him in all our ways. Why? Because he then will make straight your paths. So as much as we've tried to walk in the path of righteousness, anybody else struggle to walk in a path that's always straight? I love that it says here, and he will make straight your paths. For the days where we don't have the Christian character, the integrity to walk straight in our path, it says that he will make straight our paths. A promise from the Lord. On July 11th, 7-11 of 2018, Diorca and I, along with a few other of our friends, Pastor Marlon and Angie in particular, God called us into planting a church that would eventually be called The Gathering. And when he put this vision inside of us, it was years back before then, before 2018. And like many people who hear the voice of God, I heard his request from me. I felt his request from me. And I was like, no, I must be hearing wrong because I'm a really good assistant pastor. I'll kill the assistant pastor game any day. You must not want me to start a church. And how am I going to start a church? I don't know anything about starting a church. He doesn't care, by the way. I was sharing this morning that there was one day that I was home, and there's two things that I asked of the Lord when I was younger. One of them was, if you want me to engage in your work, speak to me. Anybody else, right? If you really want me to follow you and just my whole life to you, I need, you to, I need to hear your voice. And even then, if we do hear it, a lot of us are like, ah, I don't know, maybe it was a car that drove by or whatever. <laughs> and the other, one was, the other one was, Lord, if you truly, if, if this is really you, then touch me. Just one touch, boom. But I want to feel the weight of your arm, not just like a, right? No, no, no I want, like, oh. <laughs> one time. When I was an intern at a church in Boston, I prayed that prayer, and I was hands and knees right by the stairs to the platform, and I was praying, and I was sobbing, and I was like, Lord, just touch me. Touch me, Lord. And I felt the touch. And it was the usher, because they were trying to start sermon. 
The pastor was trying to start the sermon. There were 2,000 other people, and I'm sitting there crying like a baby. That's my story with Jesus. Fun, fun, fun fact about your pastor, whenever I even see or feel the presence of God, or even if it's in a play or whatever, and I see like an image of Jesus like, or someone portraying Jesus, my heart is crushed. Like, I'm such a baby. And actually crying sometimes makes me a little uncomfortable, but like I'm the one crying when I'm thinking about Jesus or just considering the things that he's done for me. And so here we are. God is like, hey, um, right before we planted the church in July 11th, I was home. The house was empty, and I decided not to get up and get ready for work, instead to take a little nap before I went to work. And... As I am kind of falling into a sleep, I hear, build me a house. And I wake up, and my response, maybe I'm the only one, but when I wake up, I'm like startled already. But I woke up startled, but I also felt fear. But I wasn't afraid. It's hard to explain. But I felt like what had spoken to me and whispered in my ear was something that like shook my reality. And it was so cryptic at the moment. Today I know what it meant. But in the moment I was like, build me a house. First of all, who's in my house? Who's whispering in my ear? It was just my wife and I. We had no kids. There's no other men in my house. And it was this deep, thunderous voice. Build me a house. Point is, at some point we said, okay, like we're going to choose to be obedient and see what you do with that. July 11th, 2018, the gathering begins. We didn't know what God was going to do with this. We didn't have clarity. Is this like a hangout, a Bible study? Is this a church? Like what is it that you're calling us to? What does build me a house mean? A family member of mine who probably doesn't believe in me. I don't know if she still does or doesn't, but she said, no, you heard wrong. Building me a house means that you need to trust him better in your heart. And technically, she wasn't wrong, but that wasn't what God was calling us to. Instead, we decided to be obedient. We set everything up. We put out some, some food because food always brings people to the house. There's always community and fellowship and food. We put the food out. We don't know who's going to come. I remember Marlon, uh, Angie in particular, running around like she does here, just setting the coffee and getting the food ready and the water and making sure people are comfortable. And she's doing the very same thing. But we don't know who's going to show up. And that night we had 16 people come through those doors and sit and listen to the word of God. We started first with fellowship and a little snack. And then I pulled out my Bible and we shared the good news of Jesus. There were some people in that room who loved and trusted Jesus already. And there were others who had never really sat in a space like that. And we said, Lord, until you call this formally a church, these are two and three gathered in your name. And so your spirit is here with us. And though we didn't have clarity on what it was, we did know that we needed to trust God. The exhortation for you today is simply this. Trust God there were many things and even people that we didn't even have yet, right? We didn't have the resource of people or money. I was sharing this morning that before you plant a church, one of the kind of the pillars of planting a church is to have a quarter of a million dollars in the bank because God can't work without $250,000, supposedly. We didn't have anything. 
I had enough money for some snacks. But we had a heart full of faith and a heart full of trust. Trust God. In the opening text, right, we're in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. He begins by saying, this is the king of Israel at the time, King Solomon. He's, he's writing advice as though he is writing to his son. And he says, son, don't forget my teaching and obey what I am instructing of you. Like a good father, right? When you instruct your children, you expect for them to respond. It always happens, which is awesome. <laughs> I have a seven-year-old and we're not there. Uh, she, she's listening now probably, and she doesn't do what daddy says, do what daddy says. He continues in verse two, he says, if you follow my commandments, the length of your life and length of your peace will be added to you. Which of us doesn't want a longer life? There may be some who don't want a longer life, I will admit. But who of us doesn't want peace? I know that there are people around us who, like you feel like they're all, there's always tension. If you, like, do you ever have, have you ever had a friend that you know that if she came around you or he came around you, like there's bound to be drama? <laughs> but which of us doesn't long for peace? So what this says, if you are obedient to what I am telling you, then peace will be added to you. A length of peace will be added to you. So this is to say, if you heed my instruction, you will live more fully and live more peaceably. He then invites his child to remember to be what? In steadfast, that means continuous and strong love. And to always be what? Faithful. Faithful. I need to take a pause there. As we head into the summer months, there will be a thousand reasons for you not to gather with God's people in worship. I know this rubs everybody the wrong way, but I'm the pastor. It's my job. Thousand reasons for you not to be gathered with God's people in worship. And like I say, find one reason to be here. Find one reason to be faithful. There's going to be a hundred barbecues you're going to be invited to, and I'll tell you why. Because life kind of just gets in the way sometimes. I'm not even going to blame it on the devil, although he knows what he's doing. All we need is one season of our life to be disconnected from the presence of God with his people to lose our way. And I love, again, what verse 6 says, that he will make straight our paths. So we're grateful for that. So we're talking about faithfulness. And what is faith? According to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. You've seen this before on the commemorative plates and mugs that we might have in our houses. But I want us to look at these two very powerful words that are employed here. The first is assurance and conviction. Similarly, both of these words mean to be convinced of an opinion or idea. So let's read it again, knowing that. Now, faith is the assurance, the convincing of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So to have faith is to be convinced in the object that you've hoped for. But check this out. We all inevitably live with faith, faith in something. Each and every one of us has a faith in something. Some of us just don't have faith in God. 
Faith is only as good as its object. When you got in your car this morning, you had to hope that the car would turn on, right? You had to assume that when you would put the key in the ignition, the car would just rev up. But also, you had to assume that when you pulled out, everybody else on the road knew what they were doing. Because then this would just be a plethora of accidents and deaths everywhere. So there's faith not only in yourself, but also in your motor vehicle and also in everybody else on the road. This morning when you got up, you had to have faith that your knees would be able to carry the weight of your body and not buckle as you made your way to start your day. There's faith in everything that we do. We exercise faith in every single space of our daily living. We don't each, however, have equal faith in God. And we say this in the church because of all the people that are sitting in this room right now, some of us are assured of the power of God. Some of us are assured that Jesus Christ died for us. Some of us are assured that Jesus rose from the dead because some believe that he died for us and martyred himself. But the resurrection part is where we're kind of maybe iffy. And there are others who just don't believe. They say, they call themselves Christians, they call themselves believers, but somehow I just can't believe. We have to have faith and we have to have trust. We need to trust in God. Proverbs verse 3, verse 5, going back to our text, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Solomon is telling his son to trust God with all of his heart, to never lean on his own understanding. When we fully trust in God, we must wholeheartedly trust in God. There is no such thing as a half-heart in trust. Half-hearted trust is not trust at all. Instead, half-hearted trust is only wholehearted unbelief. So if you say, if you dare to open your mouth and say, Lord, I trust in you, then be assured that in your heart you trust. But also be honest. If there are spaces where you're like, hey, I don't fully trust in what you've said or maybe in who you are or what you've said that you are or who you said that you are. In Jesus' case, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. A lot of people struggle with that. Because we long to love our neighbor. And like, how could I say that my neighbor who has a different faith than I, how could he or she not have access to God? If he is so good, he would find a way. He did find a way. And his way was Jesus. The problem is our trust. Did we miss that? God is good. He has been good. He has delivered us from the claws of sin, where we struggle is trust. The King James Version, which is the first translation ordered in the 17th century by King James, was the first Bible that was going to be laid into the hands of the common folk like you and I. And in the King James Version, because we're talking about the heart, the King James Version mentions the brain zero times. It mentions the mind 137 times, but it mentions the heart 954 times. Matthew chapter 6 verse 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
This is why giving in the church is so important. I know, I know. We talk about it week after week, and I hate it. Now that I'm a pastor, whenever I see the memes and all the social media stuff about how DJs and somebody else are kind of like pastors because of asking for money, understand me here. One of the reasons that we give is not just for us to give money, but for us to show God that he is even the king over our finances. Because in the modern culture that we live in, many of us have made idols of our finances. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 speaks to that. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be or will be also. So when we surrender our gifts to God, you can call it a donation if you want, but really it should be a gift from the depth of our hearts. It's to say, Lord, my treasure is you. My heart is with you. It is not in the idolatry of our finances. But of course, this is not speaking about a natural heart or the heart of flesh, but the most inward soul and spirit within us. I'm going to invite you guys to track with me for a little bit. You're at the 11 o'clock. You weren't at the 9 o'clock. Track with me. We're talking about trusting God. You're going to need this tomorrow. And you're going to be like, yeah, I knocked out for that one. Be with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 6, it says, let me give you the context beforehand. King David, before he was a king, there's a young man that comes to him and delivers him the news that King Solomon has died. And when David asks him what happened, in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 6, because we're, now we're talking about not the heart, but not to lean on our own understanding. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 6 says, And the young man who told him, him being David, said, By chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa. And there was Saul leaning on his spear. And behold, the chariots and the horsemen were close upon him. David asked this young man, this young man who brought the news of Saul's death, how he knew. And he responded that he saw Saul leaning on his spear. Saul had committed suicide shortly after being wounded in battle. But I'm going to stretch here for a moment. And I'm going to dare to say that to lean on your own understanding could be equivalent to spiritual suicide. The reason Solomon was leaning on his spear wasn't because he was tired. It was because he leaned on it to take his own life because he knew that defeat was at the doorstep. For us to lean on our own understanding is to take away the authority that God has over us to direct our paths. Why? Because a lot of us don't want to make moves until we have clarity on what God is asking of us. What God calls you to, friends, is always scary. 100% of the time, God asks something of you, it is scary. Your response should always be to trust God. He's telling you to go into ministry, scary, trust God. He's leading you in the path towards a healthy relationship. Oh, but I don't know if I like that person. Trust God. You're in a relationship that you know maybe dishonors God, but your heart longs to be at the feet of the Father, even in your relationship. And sometimes you following God requires you to leave people behind you. And as much as that breaks your heart, what is your response? Trust God. 
we all long to understand the clarity of why he asks of us to do these things that are so difficult. But the truth is that we don't need to know the answer. We don't need to know why God does what he does. And when we ask these questions, the, well, how does a good God? No, that, that's not your interest. He is sovereign. He is the creator of the universe. And as many questions as we can have, you have to be satisfied with the fact that you won't always understand. And that's what makes him God. James chapter 1 verse 5 demonstrates to us that although we shouldn't lean on our own understanding, that doesn't mean that God promotes ignorance. In fact, James chapter 1 verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him or given to him. So God is not calling you. He's saying don't lean on your own understanding. Don't make understanding your only support, but don't walk around here ignorant either. The ignorance is a problem that we have in our world very actively. These intentional postures that we have to believe social media, to believe other people's fake lives, to believe what the news says, to believe what people who have no idea who Jesus is say instead of us trusting God. This word of God, friends, has stood the test of time. But we will believe any Joe Schmo standing next to us over believing what God has already established for us. Have you noticed that? And it's why? Because we lack faith. Because we don't get to see God, it's harder for us to ignore the things that he is so intentionally calling us to. So there are some roadblocks then that can stunt our trust in God. First is fear, for the, the fear of the unknown. For a new believer or an unbeliever, it may be something as simple as saying, like, I'm afraid to believe in something that I don't understand because it's so opposite of what I've learned my whole life. So it doesn't make sense. We're trying to make sense of it. The world teaches us to distrust Many of us even teach and show our children to not trust in anything or anyone. Some people parent that way, that we'll teach our children to distrust everything and everyone around them. And it's true. Some people will stab you in the back. Some people will tell you yes when it's a no. But to teach our children a culture of distrust affects generations. But here, once again, the word of God contradicting what culture teaches us. To trust and trust in something you can't see that seems almost inhuman. It's impossible almost. Culture teaches us to, that distrust is almost a, a doctrinal teaching in modern culture. For the believer, however, fear comes in the form of prayerful distrust you pray for something, but you don't actually believe God will come through for you or that he even can. You know that your response as a Christian should be to pray, but while you're praying, you're like, I mean, he probably can't do this, but I'm going to pray anyway. So we pray to say we prayed, all the while we never believed and plotted to take care of the issue ourselves anyway. Or 
We pray to God for clarity, but we've already made a decision regarding what we're praying about. So while you're praying for God to, please God, help me with this, help me decide, should I take this job, should I get into this relationship? I said this morning, you're already thinking about your, 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 your outfit for the first date when God is clearly not calling you into that relationship. So we go to God and our distrust in his authority even drives us to say, even though, Lord, you say in your word to not be unequally yoked, which is not just about relationships, friends, by the way. It could also be about relationships in the intimate, right? A a boyfriend, girlfriend, dating relationship. It's also about your friends. You should long to be around people as a believer who are unbelievers so that you can bring them the good news of the gospel. But there are limits because it's easier for them to pull you down than it is for you to pull them up. So when they invite you to the club, don't say, well, I'm going to do God's work in the club. (laughs) I'll tell you what, it's never going to work. It is never going to work. I just got invited to be a groomsman. I'm 36 years old. I didn't even think that was possible. 30, I have no business being a groomsman in your wedding, but it's one of my friends from high school, so I'm going to do it. But the first thing, we had one meeting, all the groomsmen, and they're planning out everything, and you know where I'm heading with this. I said, friends, first things first, don't ask me to do your wedding. Can't stand doing weddings. Pastor Justin's right there. Anybody want to get married? Call Pastor Justin. I'm kidding. If you want me to do your wedding, I'll do your wedding. I'm not going to like it, but I'll do it. And as they're planning, you know, we get through the tuxes. We're going to do a little chocolate brown. I don't know how I'm going to look in chocolate brown. They're planning. They're planning a a big pudding pop. Thank you, Stephen. My goodness. (laughs) That's good. I like that. I like that. Uh, So... We're done talking about the clothing and, you know, the, my wife wants this and my fiance wants that or whatever. And finally, we get to the good part. And before we got there, I said, wait, I don't care what you're doing. If it's not just dinner, I'm not going. As a believer, you have to know where you fit and where you don't fit. Because of Christ. It has given you the gift of his Holy Spirit. There are spaces where you no longer belong. And all the things that we used to do before we had him, you should feel what we see in one of these first verses. Where was it? In faith, the conviction of things, hope, the convincement that this place is no longer for me. Once upon a time, I would long to be in the bars, and drinking, and drinking my problems away, and now I see it, and there's this disgust in me, because it is no longer the will of God. That is how we use the filter of the Holy Spirit in our lives, when we feel that convincing inside of us that says, this is not for me, and even when it's difficult for you, You've been in a relationship for a long time that you know dishonors God. The minute he comes into your life and transforms your heart, it is your decision to either make that relationship correct in marriage or to leave it. I know, I know it hurts because I love her so much. But what he says is that you have to be willing to hate your mother and your father to follow me. 
He doesn't want you to hate your mother and your father, but if your mother and your father keep you from what God's will is, you got to be willing to say, Mom and Dad, I love you, but I choose my Lord. You see how opposite this is to our culture? I'm Hispanic. You don't do anything to your mother except say yes, and I struggle with that. My mom is in the other room translating. I love you, Mom. I've always been obedient as a child, and more so as a husband. <laughs> no, we're not going to lie up here. Praise the Lord. So we have fear. It's a roadblock in our journey to trusting God, but then we also have confusion. Furthermore, once you have that fear, the enemy also uses fear, but then fear produces doubt, and doubt feeds off of confusion. But 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 33 establishes this. He says, God says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Therefore, anything that actively and intentionally causes us confusion is not of God. The truth is that you don't need to understand everything. If you understood everything God does, then he would not be sovereign and we would not be in need of him. But we will never understand all or the fullness of the mysteries of God. And for that, we praise him. As long as you know that he's got you, it is truly all that you need. To trust God with your whole heart is never to waver, even when his provision, please listen. To trust God with your whole heart is to never waver, even when his provision doesn't look like what you asked for. And I know that in this room right now, this will bless somebody. There's a character, a man, real, in history. His name was Job. Brian, actually, we were talking about Job the other day. Job chapter 13, verse 15 says, this is a man. Actually, let me give you the context first. Job is a man in scriptural history, in history, a real person. And Job was a man according to God's heart. But one day the devil says, you know what? I'm going to go to heaven. And he goes to heaven. He goes to the presence of God Almighty. And he says, the reason Job is such a good man is because you have never allowed him to be tested so who wouldn't trust in God if they have never been tested? And so the devil says, I'm paraphrasing, you can read the story for yourself, the book of Job. He says, let me take away everything from him and see how much he trusts you. And you know what God says? He responds, go ahead. Job lost everything. His children died. He was left just him and his wife, and his wife, if you remember the story, was a nagging wife, crazy. His wife says, why don't you just go ahead and curse God? But look at what he says, this man of God, who has lost everything. He was a wealthy man. He lost all of his wealth, all of his lands. His children are dead. He's to nothing. He loses all of his wealth. His wife tries to convince him. And if you are a spouse, you know that when your spouse speaks, hopefully you're, you're listening. Like I trust that my wife wants the best for me. He responds, 
Though he slay me, yet will I trust. I've read the story a hundred times. And to read this in the space of trust, like, trust me. And even if you face fire, that our response would be like our brother Job. Though he slay me, yet I will trust. There were three boys in the Bible. You might remember this from good old Sunday school. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Three young boys who were threatened to go into a burning and fiery furnace for refusing to worship the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar who had edified this statue of himself made out of pure gold. And the call to worship would come with the horned instruments. And every time they heard that, everyone in the city had to bow down and worship this statue. But these three young boys, for context, they were early teenagers, maybe 13, 14, 15, 16, somewhere around this early age. They said no. And so what the law was is if you refuse to worship the statue, you will die in a fiery furnace. Once again, this is history. This is not just a, a Bible story that children, a Bible fable that children learn. No, this happened in history. King Nebuchadnezzar was a real monarch in our history. And their response to this threatening king was this. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 17, these three boys say, If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. These are boys. We are grown people for the, ma the majority of us in this room. And we don't respond the way these boys do. God will save me from this fire, but if he does not, I still won't serve your gods. Job, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego chose to trust God even if it cost them their life. Could you trust God this way with your life? There's an old spiritual that says this. It says, got any rivers you think are impossible? Got any mountains you cannot tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. And he can do what no other God can do. And that's a lowercase g, even though I think here it's a capital G. We serve a God who specializes in everything that man deems to be impossible. That should be a sermon by itself. That you serve, you, if you're here today, even if you haven't yet made a decision to follow Jesus, you serve a God that specializes in everything that man says is impossible. My testimony is this. Some of you, may, I, there's some of you in this room who I haven't met yet. You know why I haven't been here for the past seven weeks? It's not because I was on vacation. It's because my wife is recovering from cancer. And in September of 2022, I felt like I was readying my heart. My wife, may she forgive me in advance because she's watching now. I don't mean to hurt you, babe, but, but our pain will be testimony. I was readying my heart to lose my wife. While at the same time trusting 
or so I thought, that God would deliver us from this fiery furnace. And I had to realize that I can't pray in two spaces at the same time. I can't pray, Lord, heal my wife while I'm saying, Lord, prepare my heart for loss. It doesn't make sense. Because your heart is going to be in one of those prayers. And there had to be a shifting in my heart. Lord, prepare my heart for victory. And not allow myself the space to prepare myself for loss. However, if you know my wife, you may know this story about her without even ever really talking to her. Simply standing up here leading worship week after week with cancer in her bones. And it's this. The story and song of her heart is this. Though he slay me, yet I will trust. The things that we yearn for God to do for us. Lord, even if you, not them, even if you kill me, I will still trust you. But you see, our culture says, well, if God is really good, oh, I, got, I have no doubt. We could all burn alive right now and God is still, I don't long for that, right? But the worst of things, like a global pandemic can happen to us and God is still good. Though he slay me, I'll still trust. That's your sermon for today. The worst thing that can happen to us, friends, is that we die. Many of us have already chosen life. So even if I die in the natural, we will have life forever. A brother of ours, and I know Pastor Justin loved this man's ministry, Pastor Tim Keller. One of his last words, was it not, Justin? One of his last preachings for the weeks that he knew he was going to be with the Father. He knew that he was convinced that his days were done and that he longed to be home in the arms of his Savior. Many people would look at us like we're crazy, friends. Well, that sounds fanatic. Listen, though he slay me, yet I will trust. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. One Life Christian Church is located in Baldwin, New York. To find out more about the church, visit us at www.onelifeli.com.